0: All right, if you brought your Bible with you, we are in the book of Revelation, and I could still hear Dr. Vernon McGee, who's been dead for so many years, it's not even funny, and it's like, now, beloved, I want you to turn in the Bible to the book of Revelation, and we're going to look at chapter 17 today, beloved. <laughs> I used to listen to him all the time when I first got saved. It was so funny, I, I had him down pat. I haven't heard him for years and years, but I think it's, you know, he's been dead for a hundred years, but they're still playing his broadcast. Revelation, the 17th chapter. Now, we've been studying through the book of Revelation, and, and, you know, if you haven't been here for every study, one of the questions that people are always asking me, they always come up to me and say, okay, now... Is the church going to be here during the tribulation period? Is this something that, that, that the church is going to go through? You know, how are we going to make that through that? And one of the things we talked about a couple times as we've been doing this study is the fact that Jesus told us how to prepare for the tribulation period. He told us how to get ready. Okay? Now, how many of you have your seven, seven years' worth of food and water stored up? Okay. Didn't Jesus tell us that? No. He didn't say that. I'm glad nobody raised their hand. That would have been like really embarrassing. I was like, okay, I'm going to pretend I didn't see that. <laughs> But he told us the way we prepare for the tribulation is to watch, pray always, that you may be counted worthy to escape all these things that will come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. So we are not planning on going through the tribulation period. We are planning on looking at it from a whole new perspective, okay? We're going to be in heaven. We're going to be at God's throne. And all the things we've been reading about here with the different angels, with the trumpets and the seals... And all of those things, we get to see this. I mean, really, we're, we're not only hearing about what's going to happen on planet Earth, but we're getting a, a, a little bit of a heads up as far as what we get to see when we get to heaven. And it is going to be exciting. In case you're thinking, I don't want to go to heaven because it's boring, trust me. God is an exciting God. You will not be disappointed. You will be greatly disappointed in hell, just for the record. Okay? I mean, for those of you that think, you know, you're going to get to hell. There's a lake of fire. I'm going to water ski. I'm going to party with my friends. I really hate to burst your bubble there, okay? But there ain't no boats on that lake, all right? And your friends may be there, but you're not going to see one of them because it's a place of outer darkness. So if you really want to be disappointed, go to hell. And the only unfortunate thing is once you get there and you're disappointed, you can't change your mind and say, excuse me, I would like to reconsider. Okay? Now, with regards to the tribulation period, not everyone who calls himself a Christian is a Christian, right? Right? The late Keith Green used to say it really well. He said, you know, going to church doesn't make you a Christian any more than going to McDonald's makes you a hamburger. Okay? It just it doesn't. It, it can, you can go and not be affected and not be changed at all. In fact, in the book of Revelation, the second chapter, we read these words because there was a woman at one of the churches um, that was um, in Thyatira that was teaching sexual immorality and, and ungodliness, and Jesus had this to say to her in Revelation 22:2. Let's write 2.22. Indeed, I will cast her into a sickbed and those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation unless they repent of their deeds. So here was this woman and a group of her followers who were not believers. They attended church. They were involved in church. They were there every time the door opened, but they were as ungodly as ungodly could be. So again, it's not just a matter of you're going to be caught away in the rapture of the church simply because you went to church last Sunday. All right, you're going to go to be with the Lord when, that, when he descends from heaven with the shout, the trumpet of God, the voice of the archangel, and the dead in Christ rise first. We who are alive and remain are caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. You are going to go there because you believe in Jesus Christ, not because you attended Jubilee Community Church. Hate to disappoint you. Okay, so here we go in, in Revelation chapter 17. And kind of brace yourself for this one because this is one of those chapters like, okay, especially a couple parts you're going to say, huh? And so when those parts come, I'll say, Huh? Okay, Revelation chapter 17, verse 1. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and talked with me, saying, come, I will show you the judgment of the great harlot who sits on many waters. Now remember, we had just read in the 16th chapter about the seven angels who were given the bowls of God's plague. These are, the last, these are the last judgments that are coming upon the planet. And they went and they poured out these judgments upon the planet. The, the earth at this point is devastated, okay? It is devastated. And at that point, um, one of those seven angels, one of the ones that was involved in that, came to John and said, I want to show you the judgment of the great harlot who sits on many waters. Verse 2, with whom the kings of the earth committed fornication, and the inhabitants of the earth were made drunk with the wine of her fornication. So he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness, and I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast which was full of names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. So this woman, this, this great harlot, is sitting upon this beast. Now we heard about this beast before. Come back with me to the 13th chapter. Look at the first verse. Then I stood on the sand of the sea, and, out of the, and I saw a beast rising up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and on his Horns, ten crowns, and on his heads a blasphemous name. Now remember we talked about that, that vision of that beast, and that beast is the kingdom of the Antichrist. So this woman is on the kingdom of the, the Antichrist. Notice that, that, that she was sitting on top of the kingdom of the Antichrist. And that's an important thing. We're going to talk about that in just a couple of minutes. In a few more verses it, it brings it out. Now the woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls, having in her hand a golden cup full of abominations and the filthiness of her fornication. Now you get one picture of this woman, and she is wealthy, okay? Scarlet was, the, was, was ec- extremely expensive material. She was arrayed in purple and scarlet. Uh, she was adorned with gold, precious stones. She had pearls, and she had a golden cup in her hand that was full of abominations and the filthiness of her fornication. And on her forehead, verse 5 tells us, a name was written, Mystery Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and of the abominations of the earth. So she has this this written on her forehead so you'll know who this one is, okay? Names on the forehead. And this is Mystery Babylon. This is not the city of Babylon. We're going to read up the city of Babylon in just a, a chapter or two, and we're going to learn about the city and the destruction of that city. But this isn't the city. This is the mystery babbling. This, this is a religious system, okay? Look at verse 6. I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints and with the blood of, mar- of the martyrs of Jesus, and when I saw her, I marveled with great amazement. So this religious system had been responsible for the persecution of everyone who became a believer during the tribulation period. She was the one that was responsible for executing them, for putting them to death, for hunting them down. And John is just struck with amazement. But the angel said to me, why did you marvel? I will tell you the mystery of the woman and of the beast that carries her, which has the seven heads and the ten horns. Now that sounds like the angel is about to explain it all to us, right? Yes, yes. Why are you in amazement? I am going to tell you the mystery of the woman. I'm going to explain it all to you. Okay, here we go. Now we're going to get the explanation. Verse 8. The beast that you saw was and is not and will ascend out of the bottomless pit and go to perdition. And those who dwell on the earth will marvel whose names are not written in the book of of life from the foundation of the world when they see the beast that was and is not and yet is. Huh? Okay. All right, let's go back. The beast that you saw was, okay, used to be, is not currently, but is coming back. Okay, that makes sense, right? When you look at that, that makes sense. Okay, because okay, you're saying well, was and is not and shall send. Okay, let, let me take you back. i got to take you back to the book of Daniel to help you comprehend a couple of these things. Nebuchadnezzar was king, and he had this vision. He was just just about to go to sleep, and he was wondering, you know, what's going to happen to my kingdom? What's the future hold? And he has this this dream. He has this vision. And Daniel comes and interprets a vision for him. He said, King, you saw a great statue, okay? And this, this statue had a head of gold. It had chest and arms of silver. It had a belly and thighs of brass. It had legs of iron. And then the feet and the toes, the ten toes, were iron and clay mixed together and Daniel explained to him that this is the interpretation to that vision that you had that that's those are the kingdoms you were wondering what's going to take place after you and God has shown you you Nebuchadnezzar are that head of gold you're going to be followed by another kingdom that is is inferior to your kingdom it's it's of silver Okay? And that, of course, was the Medo-Persian Empire, which followed the Babylonian Empire. And then that's going to be followed by another empire that, again, is inferior to the previous one. It's now brass instead of silver. And that, that kingdom, which we come to know, is, is the kingdom of Greece under Alexander the Great. And then that was followed by another kingdom, the Roman Empire, the legs of iron. And then there's another kingdom coming, which is not yet, that is... is going to be composed of of ten different kings that unite together, and in the same way that clay and iron don't adhere real well to one another, it's going to be that way with this kingdom. There's going to be some that are weak and some that are strong, and, and they'll be united, but there won't be a real adherence. And, of course, Nebuchadnezzar in the dream saw one more thing. He saw a stone come and fall on the toes. So in the days of, the, of this kingdom of the ten toes, the, a stone falls and a stone begins to grow and it fills the entire earth. And um, Daniel explained to Nebuchadnezzar that's when the Lord returns and he establishes his kingdom, which will never pass away. So Daniel... Also had a couple of visions, and one of the visions that he had was he saw beasts coming up out of the sea and It was explained to him that these beasts that he saw coming out of the sea were the same the same beasts okay the medo Persian Empire, the grecian empire, the Roman Empire, and this last day 's empire that will that will come and He saw all of these visions, which were in fact kingdoms so we 've talked about the fact that it 's the roman uh, the Roman Empire. That is the land of the Roman Empire is what's going to comprise the kingdom of the Antichrist, and the reason we know that is because there wasn't a difference between the legs and the feet to the toes. There was still the same iron that was in all of those. Whereas the other kingdoms, there was a, a, a marked difference. There was a marked difference between the head of gold and then the silver, and there was a marked difference between the silver and the bronze, and a big difference between the bronze and the iron, and. But yet when we get to the toes, it's iron and clay mixed together. So there's a connection there between the kingdom of the Antichrist and the kingdom of the Roman Empire. And so for years, you know, the church has been saying, hey, you know, there's going to be a revised or a revived Roman Empire because that's what the word is talking about here. And for years and years, it has been impossible to happen because Russia's been the beast over there, right? I mean, Russia's been the, the kingdom that held everything in control. And I remember back in the 70s when the European economic community was was finally getting going. I mean, all the Christians were saying, this is it, this is it, this is the last day's kingdom. And, and we've watched it, you know, go past 10 nations to 12 and 14. and And you know, we, we're watching Greece go bankrupt today and some of the other countries kind of shaky. And so we're looking at that saying, well, maybe that's not exactly the, what we thought it was going to be. But what we're, what we're told here is that, um, is that there is going to be a kingdom that comes forth that is going to be real similar to a previous kingdom, going to be connected to that. In fact, we're going to talk about that in just a couple more minutes. I know I keep saying that. Verse 9. Here is the mind which has wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman sits. Okay, as far as we know, there is one city of seven hills, and that, of course, is Rome. And that has caused a lot of theologians, a lot of Bible students, to say this is a a religious system that is based or will be based in Rome, and of course our minds automatically go to the Vatican, automatically go to the Roman Catholic Church, and say, okay, so this great harlot is the Catholic Church. But I want you to understand, before you throw out all of that, I want you to understand that the the Roman Catholic Church, or the religious system that will be in existence after the Christians are removed, is vastly different Than the Catholic Church that exists right now. Because there are a lot of godly people in the Catholic Church today. There are a lot of sincere believers that are in the Catholic Church. Now, when they are taken out, as all of us are taken away, all of us believers are taken out, it creates this incredible vacuum. And the only ones that are left in the system are those who are not sincere, those who are not believers and those that are more into power and more into control than anything else. So I just, I always want to give people a heads up because immediately our, our minds always go there and say, okay, well, this is the Roman Catholic Church. This is the Roman Catholic Church very possibly minus believers, okay? Which any system minus believers is a wicked system, all right? So uh, it, it's interesting here because John, it mentions that John says, I was, I was greatly astonished because in John's day, I mean, he knew the, the city that had seven hills, the only one that could possibly be that at that time, was Rome. And he's seeing this great harlot, this great religious system, with these names of blasphemies that has been responsible for, for persecuting the church, and there was no religious system at that, at that time. And so John is, is saying, okay, now now is this, is this the church that's at Rome? The church that he was familiar with at this time, that was, that was actually in the catacombs? that had, didn't have a penny to its name, you know, and then all of a sudden you see this, this woman and she's extremely rich and, and has all of this, these, these, this wealth and these, this wicked cup full of, of abominations and, and, you know, responsible for the blood of, of the martyrs. And so, you know, no wonder he was greatly astonished. And again, this, this church, this religious system, comes to great prominence during the, uh, the tribulation period. Verse 10, there are also seven kings. Okay, got that? Okay, we're talking about seven kings. Got it. Five have fallen, one is, and the other has not yet come. And when he comes, he must continue a short time. And the beast that was and is not is himself also the eighth and is of the seven and is going into perdition. And everybody said, huh? Okay, very good, (laughs) Okay. Let me, let me give you two points of view on this, okay? There are seven kings, and, and when we think in the terms of these kings, we're thinking in terms, with the first view, is, the, is the, in terms of, of, um, of kingdoms, all right? So there was the Egyptian kingdom, the Assyrian kingdom, the Babylonian kingdom, the Medo-Persian empire kingdom, the, the Grecian kingdom, and then the Roman kingdom. So that's, that's six, right? So he said, there are also seven kings. Five have fallen, one is. So the, the five, Egypt, Assyria, Babylon, Medo-Persian, Greece, have all fallen, one currently is, which is Rome, the Roman Empire. All right. So five have fallen, one is, and the other has not yet come. So there's still a future empire that is coming. And that future empire that is coming is what we refer to as the revived or the revised Roman Empire. And we're told that when he comes, he must continue a short time. So that that kingdom is going to be very short-lived. And the reason that kingdom is going to be very short-lived is because that seventh kingdom actually gives its power to the kingdom of the Antichrist. And that's why we talk about, well, see this again in just a moment but those kings that never really come to power and prominence they yield their power to the antichrist and to his kingdom so the five that have fallen the one is which is rome the seventh will only last a short time the revised roman empire with 10 kings then the kingdom goes into perdition which perdition is talking about that time when it becomes totally ungodly and totally aligned against god and that of course is the kingdom of the antichrist because the antichrist is put to power by who Satan. He's empowered by who? Satan. The third member of the Holy Trinity is who? Satan. Okay, so that's why it talks about that kingdom going into perdition. Now, another view that some other theologians have, and the only reason I, I tell you these two views is so that you can just kind of weigh things out in your own mind and say, oh, okay, well, I see this point of view because if, if I only told you the view of the, of the kingdoms and you, you know, took off and said, wow, that, that was incredible, and, you know, you're sharing with somebody and they say, well, no, that's not true because we believe, that we, like, we think it's talking about actual kings and actual rulers. Okay, let me give you this other view, okay? And the other view is that at the time that John is writing this letter, there have really been five emperors of Rome, okay? And and, and there were five who have already passed, right? There was Augustus and Tiberius and Caglia, Claudius, Nero, and um, Domitian was the one who was right then, and there was one more who followed. And the angel describes the eighth as being one of the seven. Okay, and I know it's also sudden okay, woo. OK, so one of the seven previous ones is actually going to be the eighth one, and um, it's interesting because Caesar Nero was a pretty good empire, emperor of the, um, of the empire until the Apostle Paul had his defense before him. And no doubt Paul let him know the gospel of Jesus Christ. Well it was shortly after that that Nero went insane. And Nero not only went insane, but he made it his, his marked duty to eliminate Christians from the planet. That's why the Christians went underground. I mean, he would, he would capture Christians. He would have them covered in tar. He would have them lit on fire, and he would drive his chariot through these, these fire, human-lit um, gardens. And I mean, the, the guy was, was insatiable when it came to, to killing Christians. He was the one who would, you know, have the gladiators kill them or have have them fed to lions. That was, just, that was just his style. And in fact, the early church referred to him as the beast. And so we're not talking about reincarnation of Caesar Nero, but possibly the same demonic spirit that possessed him would possess the, the Antichrist, okay? So that's the other, the other theory there. All right, and that's why it would be, you know, they'd be talking about, you know, the, the angel coming out of the bottomless pit again. So, okay. Verse 12. The ten horns which you saw are ten kings who have received no kingdom as yet, but they receive authority for one hour as kings with the beast. Now remember, these, these ten kings are ten kingdoms. And, and this, I, I have to explain to you how unusual this was because this is totally different than, than what was taking place up until the first century. Up until the first century, there weren't individual nations. There were, there were nations, but those nations were conquered. They were conquered by kingdoms. And so there were these kingdoms that, that ruled over great vast areas of land. And as, as they're looking ahead, uh, as we're seeing ahead, that in the last days, one of the characteristics of the last days is that there wouldn't be so much a kingdom as there would be a nation. And each nation would have its own king. And so the ten horns are ten kings who, who do not have a kingdom but they receive authority for one hour as the kings of the beast. So they they yield their authority of their dominion to the Antichrist, to to the beast, and they are allowed to rule with him. These are of one mind, and they will give their power and authority to the beast. So these ten kings are ten rulers of nations in the last days, and they yield their authority to the Antichrist. These will make war with the lamb, and the lamb will overcome them. For he is Lord of lords and king of kings, and those who are with him are called, chosen, and faithful. So although these nations unite, like the ten toes, you know, join together, and they yield their power and their armies and their authority to the Antichrist, guess what? They are a bunch of losers, okay? Because they're going to fight against the Lord, and they might as well give their salute for their kingdom. Here we go. Bunch of losers, because they are going to lose. Then he said to me, verse 15, The waters which you saw where the harlot sits are peoples, multitudes, nations, and tongues. So the the waters over which the, the harlot sits are peoples, multitudes, nations, and tongues. And the ten horns which you saw on the beast, these will hate the harlot, make her desolate and naked, eat her flesh, and burn her with fire. So the kingdom of the Antichrist turns on the, the mystery Babylon, the, the false religious system that's headquartered in Rome, they turn on her and destroy her. For God has put it into their hearts to fulfill his purpose, to be of one mind and to give their kingdom to the beast until the words of God are fulfilled. So God is, is behind this, this judgment that you, that you see and the fact that they unite together to fight against, uh, against the, the woman. And the woman whom you saw is that great city which reigns over the kings of the earth. And that's one of the things I said we're going to talk about in a moment. Where is, where is the harlot? She's riding on the beast. Okay, She is in control of the beast. No wonder that kingdom rebels against her and wants to destroy her. Although she was responsible for maybe getting some of these kings into the position they were in, maybe financing their campaigns, maybe financing, you know, buying, buying their their way into power, and and she was the one in control of all of this, and yet she ends up riding on the kingdom like she's in charge of the kingdom, and those kings, of course, the Antichrist, turn on her and bring her down and totally destroy her. So that woman that you saw is that great city which reigns over the kings of the earth. Let me take you back to verse 14 for a moment because there's just something I want to share with you and and talk about for a couple minutes. These will make war with the Lamb, and the Lamb will overcome them, for he is Lord of lords and King of kings. And those who are with him are called, chosen, and faithful. Now, I promise that I am not going to throw these, okay? I brought some gold stars today because it's important for you to know How you get the gold star, you know? When you were in school and the teacher said, okay, if you read so many books, you're going to get a gold star. If you do so well on on all of your spelling tests, you're going to get a gold star. Now, what I discovered earlier is that when I flung these, they really go, okay? We almost had to call 911 in the first service. So just for the record, if I throw one, it's going like that far, okay? Okay? I'm not going to injure anyone. I don't want anybody taking stories home from church like, we saw somebody decapitated in church today. It was so cool. Okay. (laughs) Okay. There are three words and three concepts that are so important for us to grasp. Okay? Because if you really want to get a gold star, you you really want to know how to shine, here's how it happens. There are three characteristics of those who are with Jesus when he returns. The first characteristic is they are the called. They are the ones that God has called to belong to him. And I want you to know, every single one of you sitting here today has been called by God. And you may say, well, I've never felt his calling. I've never heard his voice. He has called you. Otherwise, you wouldn't even be here today, okay? You would not want anything to do with anything that's taking place here today. Every once in a while, somebody will say, well, you know, I think I've, I've committed the unpardonable sin. I think I've, you know, blasphemed the Holy Spirit. And I tell them, if you ever do that sin, you will never worry about it. The very fact that you're questioning that you did it lets you know you haven't done it. Because if you have have committed blasphemy against the Holy Spirit, you you have done it after knowing all there was to know about spiritual things and totally rejecting it, and God will not deal with you ever again. A thought of God is not going through your mind anymore. You don't care about church. You don't care about the things of God. You don't care about Christians. You don't care about any of that. The very fact that you would even question that you have done that lets you know you haven't done that, okay? So in case some of you think, I've already crossed the line. It's too late for me. No, you would not be here in church today. Even if somebody drug you to church, you would not go. That's how bad it would be. Okay? So if you question you did that, don't worry about it. Now, you may be sitting there questioning, well, I don't know if I'm called. I mean, if, if those who are with him are those who he's call, called, you know, my phone's never rung, and on the other end, it'd be God. Okay, I've never gotten that phone call. You have been called by God. You have been called by God. Whether you've answered that call yet or not, I don't know. But I do know that you have been called. And that call has nothing to do with, with your goodness. It has nothing to do with how perfect you are or what a perfect life you've lived. Listen to 2 Timothy, the first chapter, the ninth verse. Who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. God's calling upon your life has nothing to do with you. It has nothing to do with your perfection. It has nothing to do with how good you are. It has nothing to do with how good your parents were. God has called you by his grace because he wants you to be part of his family. Okay? And because you've been called by him, Romans 8.28 tells us something rather wonderful, that even when we go through difficult times... We know that all things work together for good to those who love God, love God, to those who are the called according to His purpose, which means God has called you, and even raunchy things that happen in your life, even getting fired from a job, even you know having to, to move somewhere you don't want to move to to keep a job, um, even going through a, a physical challenge, all of those things are going to work together for good because God has called you and you may not see the big picture yet and i always go back to the life of joseph and joseph you remember was hated by his brothers he was he was uh, put in a in a pit, he was taken out of the pit and sold to the Ishmaelites, he was purchased when he got to Egypt by Potiphar, and he worked as a slave in his house, and his wife made an accusation against, against Joseph, and Joseph was then thrown into prison, and Joseph was in prison for a few years, and he's in prison, and he's, and he's a slave, and he's got nothing going for him, and all of a sudden, God brings him out of the prison, brings him before Pharaoh, and he is now instantly, in a matter of minutes, made the second ruler of the kingdom. And you look back on the life of Joseph, you say, oh, man, Joseph, you went through some tough stuff, but look what was ahead for you. The only difference between Joseph and you, you haven't read the end of your story. You're right in the middle of it. You may be right in the middle where Joseph was in a pit. You may be in, you feel like you're a slave right now. You may feel like you're in prison right now. Okay, and, and your story hasn't been finished. So don't throw in the towel in the same way Joseph couldn't throw in the towel because the, the, the chapter hadn't been finished. The book hadn't been finished yet. And so sometimes you're, you're kind of in the midst of that and you're saying, oh, this is, this is so bad. This is so terrible. This is horrendous. No, all things are working together for good because you love God and because he has called you, not according to your purpose, but according to his purpose, okay? God has taken you somewhere and you're not there yet, okay? But you are called. Not only are you called, talking about gold stars, but you are chosen. Now, you know in the Old Testament, God chose this this small group of people, the descendants of Abraham, to be his own. Look at Deuteronomy, the seventh chapter. For you are a holy people to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for himself, a special treasure above all the peoples on the face of the earth. You've been chosen the Israelites, the Jewish nation, has been chosen by God. They were God's chosen people. How many times have you heard that phrase? Yeah, they're the chosen people, right? Because God chose them, and he chose them to be a special treasure and to be his own people. So for years and years, if you ever wanted to get into God's favor, you had to get into the Jewish family. And even if you weren't born a Jew, you could become a proselyte. You could become a Jew. And and through... Becoming a Jew, you could become part of God's chosen people. You are chosen. But you're saying, I'm not Jewish. That's okay. Look at what took place in the New Testament. Because something happens at John 3.16. At John 3.16, we are told, for God so loved the Jewish people. No. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. So although salvation was of the Jews initially, the door has been opened to all of us. And Peter explains it to us. Look at first Peter, the second chapter, ninth and tenth verses. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood. He's not writing to Jews, he's writing to Christians. Okay? And he's running to Gentile Christians. But you are a chosen generation. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. You are his own special people that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light who were once not a people but, now, but are now the people of God who had not obtained mercy but now have obtained mercy. See, there was a time when we were outside of that little, that little family clique. Okay? And outside of that family... Outside the, outside the seed of Abraham, sorry, you didn't have mercy. You, weren't, you were in darkness. You weren't called his own. And Peter's saying, guess what? The circle's been opened a little bit bigger, and you are included in it. You are now God's chosen people. You are now God's special treasure on the earth. That's you. And that's the treasure Jesus is coming back for. Remember we talked last week about him coming like a thief in the night, and a thief always comes to take something? You're the treasure Jesus is coming to take. All right. So we are called, we are chosen, and we are faithful. After 70 years of captivity in the land of Babylon, the Israelites were allowed to return back to Jerusalem. They got back to Jerusalem, and there were priests like Ezra who had who had prepared themselves to teach the word. And we have, we have a teaching that they were giving at that time that's recorded for us in Nehemiah, the ninth chapter. It, and they were saying, you are the Lord God who chose Abram, Abraham, and brought him out of Ur of the Chaldeans and gave him the name Abraham. Now look at this next phrase. You found his heart faithful before you and made a covenant with It doesn't say there that, God, you saw that Abraham was the most perfect person on the planet because Abraham had his faults. Do you remember any of Abraham's faults? Do you remember the whole situation with going down to Egypt and telling his wife, hey, babe, you know, you're a really good-looking woman, and when we get down there, they're going to kill me to get you. So I want you to tell them that you're my sister. And if they end up taking you to be their wife, then sorry to lose you, honey, but at least I'm alive and you kept me alive. You know, we aren't told what Sarah said to that. And I don't care how submissive you think Sarah was. I am sure there were some words that were going on in that tent. Remember the old cartoon where the tent's rocking because two people are fighting in it? I'm sure that came from Abraham and Sarah. Now, we're going down to Egypt, so you just say you're my wife. I am not saying anything to this guy. Right? And you know that Abraham was not perfect in all his ways. But what are we told here? We are told that he had a heart that was faithful. Now, I don't know how you're doing in your, in your walk with the Lord, but if you're like me, you're blowing it at least once a week, aren't you? Eh, maybe once a day. Hopefully we're making it a few hours, okay? And you end up saying something you shouldn't say. You end up thinking something you shouldn't think. You end up doing something you shouldn't do, right? And, and if you're going weeks at a time without making those mistakes, here, you're teaching next week, Okay? because all of us are in that same boat. All of us still mess up, and yet God doesn't reject us. Why? Because he doesn't look at the outward appearance. He looks at the heart, and here we're told Abraham had a faithful heart. You have a faithful heart. Even though you mess up, even though you lose your temper, even though you, you know, do some things you shouldn't do, you have a heart that that is faithful to God. God, you know in my heart that I don't want to do those things. I don't want to fall short in any area at all. I want to walk before you in a way that pleases you. And I can't seem to control all the desires of the flesh all of the time, but I can control the faithfulness of my heart. And God, I am going to have a faithful heart to you. Okay? And hopefully as you, as you continue to walk with the Lord, you're not blowing it near as much as you used to or near as badly as you used to. Um, but Paul, when he was writing to the Corinthian church, says in 1 Corinthians 4-2, moreover, it is required in stewards that one be found faithful. There's one quality that shines above everything else, and that's that you are faithful. And I love the, the word that's there in, in 1 Corinthians 4-2, and that word is stewards, because a steward is someone who is responsible for that which belongs to someone else. We would call them today a manager, Okay. We'd call someone that was over the property of someone else, you know, a property manager. In that day, they were called a steward. And the one requirement, the first and foremost requirement, is that that person be faithful. In other words, everything you have really doesn't belong to you, okay? If you have talents and gifts, you didn't, you didn't create those talents and gifts, you may, have, you may have refined them and, and dug them out like, you know, digging gold out of a, out of a mine shaft, you, but, but you didn't create that talent in you. And you may say, well, I'm a self-made man. I've, I've made myself, and, and I'm the one who's responsible for me. You know, you can't make diddly. Right? You can't do that. You, know, you may think you got your hot stuff and you got it all together. You don't. The Bible says that it is God who gives us strength to make wealth. Something could have happened to you early in life. You could have been born with a defect that would have caused you not to be able to function your entire life, and God was so gracious to you that he helped you through this, and then he's given you talents, he's given you abilities, and then he's given you opportunities. Okay? Why is it you think you got that job? Okay? Why, why do you think that that, that that opportunity was dropped in your lap? There were a hundred resumes that were sent in. There were a thousand applications that were sent in. Why was yours chosen? Why, when that guy interviewed you or that woman interviewed you, why was it you that got the job? That was God's favor, okay? God gave you that opportunity. God opened that door for you. He's the one that did that. You didn't do it yourself. It wasn't your charming, sparkling personality. It was favor. It was God's favor. It was God's gift. And now that he's given you the gift, his requirement is you be faithful. I talk to people about tithing all the time. Tithing is, is giving a tenth of what you have to God. The book of Proverbs tells us that when we give, we are actually honoring him. What we're saying when we give an offering to the Lord is, God, we recognize that you're responsible for me even being able to have this. And some people say, well, I, I just don't have enough. I don't have enough to tithe. And I always tell them, you may only have a little now, but you be faithful in that little now, and God will give you more. And you be faithful with that more that God gives you, and God will give you more, and God will give you more. But it's all based on your faithfulness, okay? You honor him, you're faithful with that, and God will bless you. He really will. And, and it's required in stewards above everything else that that individual be found faithful. Okay, so how do I get the stars? Real simple. You'd be called, you'd be chosen, and how much did you have to do with that? Nothing. What did you do to get, to get called? Nothing. What did you do to get chosen? Nothing. Okay? It was God's calling. It was God's choosing. But there's one area that you are totally responsible for. Your faithfulness. That's why I put called, chosen, faithful. Okay? Because we know God is going to call you or has called you. We know that God has chosen you. But the question now is are you being faithful to that calling and to that choosing? Let's bow our heads. Father, we thank you for your word today. And again, Lord, we just thank you for the truth that your word contains. And as we've read through these events in the 17th chapter, this, this false religious system that, that has just wreaked havoc upon believers, those who have become believers after, uh, after the tribulation period began, and, and God, we see the judgment that comes upon her, which is well-deserved judgment And, Lord, we we thank you for all of that. But we thank you most of all for what, what you spoke to us about here, about those who are with you. Those who are with you are called. Those who are with you are chosen. Those who are with you are faithful. And, Lord, we thank you for calling us. We thank you for choosing us. And we thank you for helping us, God, in that area of faithfulness. And if that's an area that we have been deficient in and you're talking to us about it right now, God, we want you to know that we are sorry. We are sorry that our hearts have not been faithful before you and that we have not been faithful in every area of our lives. And help us, God. Help us to be faithful to you. Because we not only want to be called, we not only want to be chosen, but we want to be faithful. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let's stand together today. So you're getting blessed this week, not just with gold stars. You're getting blessed this week because you have heard the book of Revelation read. You have read the book of Revelation. You have heard the words that are contained in the book of Revelation. How exciting is that? Pretty exciting. Romans, uh, Romans. Revelation 1-3 tells us that, that blessed is everyone who hears the words of this prophecy, reads the words of this prophecy, keeps the words of this prophecy, so you're going to get blessed. So just trust the fact that the Lord is going to bless you, and he's going to keep you. He's going to make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord's going to lift up his countenance upon you, and he is going to give you peace. Okay, That's the blessing of the Lord, his presence, his peace, and he is going to keep you. Brad and Joyce, would you guys mind making yourselves available for prayer today? And if you need prayer before you leave today, Brad and Joyce are going to be down here, and they will be more than happy to pray with you. Yes? Maybe you don't know the Lord and you want to come to know him. They'll be glad to pray with you today. If you don't have a Bible, there's some down here. Grab one before you leave so you can read the Word of God on your own and let God speak to you as he wants to do. God desires to speak to you out of the Word. Maybe you haven't read the book of Proverbs because you don't have a Bible that has the Old Testament in it. Come here and grab one. Proverbs 25 is what we're reading today. Okay, got it? Brad and Joyce are going to be down here. God bless you. Thanks for being here today. Way to go on the gold stars.